Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Yeah? Everyone else in my house is sick, but oh, I've, no. I've so far skated by. Nick is sick too. It. He's homesick today. I think it's just, I mean, it's those, it's these kid immunities that I keep building up just by you working, know, working at a school? school. I know. It's seriously, it's like working in a hospital. Right? <laughs> I, uh, I noticed this morning when I walked into your room, this little poster that's on your whiteboard. Uh, it's called Seven Ways That Water Bottles Are Affecting the Environment. Yeah. It's cool. Well, what's funny about it is um, the scholar that put it up there asked me, she goes, Simmons, can I put this, uh, this po- what, what, I don't know what you would call that, a, a flyer, flyer or poster or something? Can I, can I put it in your room? <laughs> I was like, what, what, what am I going to say? No, like you can't post anything? Of course you can. Well, I mean, you're sitting here with a, an aluminum water bottle. You ought to believe in it. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, I mean, I, I think that it's, what I enjoy about this school, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, that we provide so many opportunities for scholars to explore areas that we're passionate about. And Victoria, the scholar who put this together, um, I think, I need to put a disclaimer. I'm almost positive it's Victoria, but if any of Victoria, my scholars are listening, was it you? <laughs> if any of my scholars are listening, you're like, it was not. Uh, please let me know, and then I can uh, I can redact my statement later. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, she's just it's something that she was passionate about, and she wanted to to post it. And and I mean, I think regardless of what school you're at or what content you're you're in charge of, um, you know, anytime you can give the scholar the opportunity to really pursue that passion and to I, I think that for for people to come in especially her to see that I mean that's that's a point of pride it feels pretty good definitely. Uh, that, uh, that your work's being recognized like that uh. definitely and I love uh, personally working at a school where we have uh, activism on display left and right uh, kids caring about the world and caring about uh, the impact that that human beings are making on it and creating art and academic artifacts that show that that work and that activism yeah, it's man. it's awesome yeah uh, more so in your room than mine but slow yeah. slow and steady slow and steady we'll, we'll, slow we'll, and we'll steady. get my room on on par definitely <laughs> but uh man last week before winter break i know got i can hardly believe it um well i'm driving to nebraska with nice. nick nice in my car which is probably just as similar to driving to Kansas or driving to Wyoming or yes. driving to anywhere in that region. Clearly, yeah. that's home, though. Yeah, yeah. Nebraska is home. It's going to take us 27 hours. It's because, not for everyone. Yeah, we're driving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for context, Nebraska uh, this last year ranked 50th in tourism in the United States. So their new slogan to kind of clap back at all all the haters is Nebraska. It's not for everyone. Only way to go is up, my man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we're driving home and we're taking the southern route as to not go through the mountains in December. And uh, call. I'm looking forward to it. We love driving. We really do. Nice. What are you up to? Um, what am I doing? Uh, it's interesting having that third week. Um, I think that if my kids were older, we would definitely take advantage of that extra week we have built in. I think most school districts only do two. We yeah. have three. Yeah. We'd probably take advantage of that week and travel somewhere and do something. But with the little kids uh, and um, my oldest is still in school. So yeah. I think that we're just going to take advantage of me being home and do a lot of maintenance type stuff. Um, uh, adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's going to be the, the better part of my break. But I'm just looking forward to Christmas at home. Just kind of 
enjoying enjoying family time. It'll be our second time. I put lights on our house for the first time this year. Yay. So big moving up uh, in, the, in the HOA. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a big year for us. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, just enjoying the time uh, to ourselves. Is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yay. Well, I'm really excited about our podcast today. It's a good one. And you are, in fact, listening to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name, of course, is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And we got a special guest. It's our uh, fourth guest on the podcast. And uh, a guest that we've preemptively talked about a number number of times, times, right? And, uh, but we're really excited. I mean, the, the, you just think of him on campus and he's just such a nice guy. Like, like, why are you so nice? Like, is it humanly possible to be this kind and true and genuine? And I just see him, he's, while he walked on campus, I smile. Anytime you see someone and you smile on contact, that's generally a pretty good sign. It's a good sign. Paul is one of those people. Paul is one of those people. He is the advisor in charge of what we refer to as the environmental sustainability complex he does some incredible work with our young people around the environment, around the activism, as you were alluding to at the start here, and uh, and just getting them totally psyched for this planet and, and what we can do to, to make a difference uh, in it. Yeah, he's also a very interest-driven advisor. He approaches education with the framework that if kids are engaged in what they're learning, they will learn it deeply and meaningfully. And that drive uh, inspires me as a teacher every single day. So we had to get him on the podcast and and talk to him immediately. And uh, what better way to go into our winter break than to have this conversation? So, without further ado, wait. Oh, do you think we can get some like uh, like horns uh, going in the background to welcome him in? Like pew 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 pew, like, like something radio disc jockey yeah. horns, yeah, 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 like yeah. air horns, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm talking like grand welcome. We, I, I will see what I can uh, muster with uh, the capabilities of GarageBand, and uh, and I'll make I'll make something happen. Amazing. So I don't know what this is going to sound like. This is going to be in post, but please give us a strong welcome to Paul Hudak. Paul Hudak. <laughs> You're here. I'm here. I'm happy I, to be here. This is most mornings for you. You're you're here generally right around the same time I get in. Early birds, right? Yeah, here around sunrise. You got a lot of work to do uh, to get everything prepped and and ready to go. But we're glad that you're taking a break to to join us here, the Odyssey of Learning podcast, man. How you doing? How's your morning? It's going really well. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to sit down and talk to you. I feel like we've both been going at such a rapid clip this whole school year. I haven't had the chance to even sit down and talk to you to the extent that I wanted to. So here we go. And, you know, as you know, with the, the mentorship program, it's just had us spinning in circles seemingly. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, I also have to commend you for, for being uh, flexible with your time. I know that, you know, there's a lot to set up and seeing the kids twice a week, but also sometimes not seeing them twice a week depending on the schedule. Um, so the flexibility all around has been duly appreciated. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I have to say, you know, today's our second to last day um, with the mentors, or with the mentees rather, and we're operating like a well-oiled machine right now. So 
I can do my prep, but I can also know that all 20 of them are going to show up and bring their A game and we're ready to roll. That's awesome. Well, and, and we'll be talking about that and more today, but let's kind of back ourselves up. Let's get a, a larger scale view of who Paul is, because as we've mentioned, you've come up on the podcast quite a bit because so much of what happens in the environmental sustainability complex um, is involved in our own coursework and, and the things that we do. It's the design of the sophomore class. So kind of... Uh, you know, going back, scaling back here, tell us about, you're here at Odyssey, and in, you're an educator, you know the environment, this is a passion of yours. Give us kind of a brief description. What led you here? Give us some background. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep this concise. I mean, <laughs> you know, fortunately, I grew up in upstate New York, and I was raised spending a lot of time outdoors. So, you know, from a young age, I had a love of nature. Um, also, my grandmother was an avid gardener and my favorite person in the world, so at a young age I was exposed to that. Um, moving through my, you know, through my 20s, I spent most of my, um, my early professional career as an organic farmer up in Oregon, managing organic farms, farming with Belgian draft horses, and just kind of doing all kinds of neat stuff and traveling the world farming. I have to add, wait, Belgian draft, what? Yeah, Belgian draft horses. What is that? Um, you know, the, uh, like Clydesdale horses? Yeah. 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 So in 2003, I spent a year and a half with two friends. We had some property outside of Salem, Oregon, and um, we started a farm, a subscription farm, where we decided that we wanted to do it back to the land without tractors. And yeah. so um, my friend Mike, he was a, I mean, he worked with horses for a long time. So we had two horses, Marge and Peach. And I mean, we hooked them up to a plow and they provided all the fertilizer for the farm. And um, we had a really successful and interesting operation. That's awesome. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to get sidetracked. I was like, I had it like, oh, that sounds interesting. I need to know more. Yeah, no, but we can talk about that another time. Absolutely. Maybe another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> man, I'm down. The agrarian history. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, back in 2007, I started working in schools. Um, so I worked at a, a big picture learning high school up in Portland, Oregon, and I was there for five years where I started an environmental sustainability program there. Um, we had a farm set up on the site, um, literally an old ball field that the students and I had turned into a small farm, tied it into their education, and then, you know, most importantly, I think it provided jobs for the students after school during the summer, and we um, marketed our produce to 30 schools in our school district and to 50 families in the Portland metro area and sold to restaurants. Um, nice. Yeah, so I was there for five years and then um, worked my way to a school out in the valley where I've been, or I was for the last six years before I came to Odyssey. And my good friend and mentor, Elliot Washer, um, had been working with Odyssey for a while as you guys were designing the model and starting it. And he introduced me to Keith a while ago and. I was at a point in my career where I was ready to make a move, and um, it ended up working out. And I gotta say, like, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's, it's hard. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. It's really, a, it's a magical place, and I, I couldn't be more happy to be here. I think what's so profound from my perspective, and probably the perspective of all the uh, advisors, <coughs> excuse me, here on campus, is that, well, and I'll, I'll put in perspective of myself. Courtney and Alice, who have been here since um, the start, and knowing this area behind my classroom and what it used to be, to see the transformation, not only kind of structurally with obviously the addition of a greenhouse, we see the aquaponics equipment out there, um, and, and now the, 
the the gardens uh, that are that are out there, but just looking at the inside and like I like I think I remarked uh, over when we got back from Thanksgiving just how much growth has taken place, and and how incredible it is for our scholars to have that experience, um, and like you mentioned, it's it, there's a lot of moving pieces uh, to make all of that happen uh, successfully, no less. Um, so I'm really excited, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little later on. I'm excited to hear about what exactly goes into that sort of process for you on, on a more routine basis. Um, but focusing on this education piece, and you clearly have a history um, with education and, uh, and imparting this environmental wisdom upon the young minds of today, um, what are some of your, what would you consider to be your professional goals as an educator, something that I like to say, like, what's your what's your mission statement as a as as an advisor, as an educator? Right. I, I mean, I think first and foremost, my my mission is to inspire, right? So, I've been working in environmental education for a long time. Um, the environmental issues are are large, and they're ever evolving and changing. Um, it's it's my top priority every day when I come to work to not just educate the students that I work with, but to inspire them. And a lot of times that doesn't just happen in the classroom. That means that we're getting out, um, working in the field, and really you know, getting the students to engage and take ownership over whatever it is that we are building here, whatever the project is. Because if there's not that personal relevance, um, then it's hard for students to jump in, engage, and really um, want to be a part of it. So I think, to summarize, it would be to inspire and to empower. Nice. Yeah. I think that's admirable. I also feel I can connect to that very easily as an educator myself. Um, and I, I see a lot of the, the work that I do on a fairly regular basis reflecting that also. So it's, uh, it's great to hear that there's uh, some synergy uh, with, within that. Um, now, the, the environmental sustainability complex is this marvelous place, uh, other than it being a mouthful to say. I, I like to say the ESC. <laughs> I don't think that acronym's caught on yet, but never say never. Um, you get here. Give us a, a rundown of just a typical day in the life of Paul at Odyssey. Yeah. I mean, I think right now there's, there's two different days. There's the teaching days, and then there's the mentoring days. And so the teaching days, just try to get here early enough so I can ease into the day. Um, I like to leave enough time where I can really comfortably kind of roll into the day without um, showing up late and stressing out to start my day. So I show up, set up the classroom, get my information written up on the board, and then basically like roll out to the greenhouse, open it up, um, see what new bugs we might have in there. Although I never see all of them, Sasha is always quick to show me new insects later on in the day. Um, and then just kind of take a walk around and it's, um, it's kind of like a two-pronged approach. You know, part of it is grounding for me you know, walking around the complex and starting the day in, in silence and just kind of focusing and grounding, but then also really observing through, sorry, observing every aspect of what we've been working on so far to see what may have evolved or changed just in the 24 hours since I've been here before, because things like you alluded to before, you know, things are progressing so rapidly here. Um, there are learning moments every day that could be missed if I'm not out there every morning taking note of what's going on out there. And so I'll have my lesson planned for the day, but I think there's also always the opportunity for infusing in um, more, more dynamic information than my lesson may have just been planned. 
Um, an example of that would be the compost. Um, our compost <laughs> has been so <laughs> active and decomposing at such a rapid rate because the scholars are so engaged in this and constantly turning it. So it's getting aerated and therefore um, decomposing at a rapid rate. So what would normally take you know, a couple months to break down <laughs> might take three to four weeks. And so if I'm not in there digging around, sticking my arm down into the pile, feeling the heat or knowing that, oh, like this, whatever, this pumpkin that Muriel brought in that was here a few days ago is now um, the healthiest looking soil I've ever seen. I don't want that to go unnoticed by the scholars. So I'm, I'm just trying to take constant notes of what's happening out there so I can share that with them. And because they are engaged, maybe in this example, like in the turning process, um, they're engaged, they own that. If I say, hey, like, let's go out and take a look at that, then that just builds another layer of their engagement in the whole, the whole ESC. And then we're, we're off and running. That's so cool. That's awesome. It's been so fun to learn about the complex through the eyes of the scholars. Like if they give us a tour and they point out the ants, the little dots that the ants are carrying are actually their larvae. Or if you look at the compost, here's why it's it's uh, decaying at such like a fabulous rate. They're so engaged in that process. So I'm curious, aside from that engagement or maybe in addition to it, uh, what sort of impact do you feel or do you hope to feel that this process is having on our sophomores? Like long-term and short-term, what is the implication of this work for them? Right. So. I mean, obviously I want them, my hope for them is to become scientists, right? Through observation, through experience. So learning the ins and outs through, you know, with myself, but then also with the two of you and then with Gail and Nicole, you know, to learn the science of everything that we're doing out in the field. Like that's, that's top priority. Um, compassion for nature, empathy for nature. I mean, those are two huge pieces for me. You know, if, as long as I work here, I hope, hope to be here for a really long time. Um, but I hope whenever I do move on that every scholar that I've worked with has a deeper appreciation and care for nature than they did when they started working with me. Um, that's really, I, I tell these guys all the time, I mean, you are the voice of the future. People are getting tired of listening to people my age talk about this stuff. So the best thing I can do is teach this to you guys and then have you go out and shout it to the world um, because they're ultimately the ones who are going to be making the change. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that I've noticed from, from our context as well is um, kind of as you're saying, creating this level of ownership over the content uh, is really important to you. And we see that in the ELA classroom all the time uh, with, you know, the day comes to mind when we did our Transcendentalist Poetry Unit. <laughs> yeah, the they... scholars had so much uh, like passion for learning about the ethics and the humanities behind transcendentalist poetry and, and how it connects to their work with nature in the environmental sustainability complex. So that was a cool way for us to see kind of the humanities spill over into, into your work and um, a chance for scholars to take their own piece of the pie. And like, you know, it's like they all are working within the confines of this uh, like thematic work, but then they identify which aspect of it they love and then they run with that uh, on their own so if you could share with us a little bit more like what role student interest or scholar interest plays in their work with you that would be i think super helpful for our listeners to understand their interest and how it how it drives your work yeah absolutely um i mean this will be 
hands down the most exciting part of what we talk about today because this is the most exciting part of my job. Um, sometimes the most challenging, but by far the most exciting. Um, if, if I'm teaching a lesson and I'm asking 20 scholars to do exactly the same thing um, day after day after day after day um, without bringing in any of their own creativity, their own personal interest, um, this is going to get old for them really quick. Um, one, well, I could give a bunch of examples, a couple that I'll start off with. You know, one of the first ones, um, a great scholar that I work with named Elvi, um, you know, the first couple classes, I saw he's looking at me sideways, wondering, like, what is this class? I'm not so sure about this, right? And then around the third time, we're out in the greenhouse planting, planting seeds, and he asked me, I love watermelons, Paul. Can I plant some watermelons? <laughs> right? And so this is, this is late September, early October, where, you know, if, if you know about gardening and you know about whatever, farming, whatever, you know that that is absolutely the wrong time of year to plant a watermelon. However, like, my answer to students is always, like, yes. Like, yes, let's do it. Let's see what happens. I tell them, you know, because the days are getting shorter, um, this plant is from a southern region, it's, it doesn't like cooler temperatures, this is not normally the time of year when you would plant a watermelon. However, we're planting it in a greenhouse where it's going to be a lot warmer than it is outside. Um, I can't say what that watermelon is going to do, but let's put it in the ground and see what happens. <laughs> and, I mean, sure enough, like every time he comes to class, his first question is always, are we going to go to the greenhouse? Can I see my watermelon? Like, how's it looking? <laughs> and because like now he's passionate about it, every time I'm in the greenhouse in the morning, opening it up or you know checking on insects, I'm always going over to look at Elvie's watermelon to see if there's flowers on there, see if there's fruit that started to set. Um, so you know a big part of it is is really teasing out the personal interests and passions of the students that I work with, and and taking and making the time to sit down with them, which I think maybe that's the challenging part is um, finding the time to sit down with them. But I want to know what um, lights a fire in them. I want to know what gets them excited. And I really believe, I really believe this, that you know, even, even with an, a personal interest that might seem so far away from anything to do with the natural world or with environmental sustainability, I think there's always a way to connect the two together. And it's great for me because you know, I, know, I know my stuff through and through, and I've been doing this for a while, so I can sit down with a student who um, might be into animation or skateboarding or whatever it might be and, and sit down for whatever, 10, 15, 30, 60 minutes and have a conversation where by the end we've connected skateboarding and environmentalism together. And then because that's what switches them on, they're more interested in what we're doing now. And once, um, I mean, once they're interested, once they're engaged, I think we're kind of off to the races and it can only we can only build on that as we go throughout the year and you know finally I mean a big piece of that is relationships I think that's been the most exciting part for me about just be kind of making this transition 12 13 years ago from being a farmer organic farmer to working in education is um, getting to know these brilliant young minds teach them about what I love and then get to see what I've been doing for a really long time through a different perspective and a different lens, and then just having them, or asking them, working with them to create new systems that I've never seen in all the years that I've been doing this. I think it's powerful also in the sense that I, I wouldn't consider myself, <coughs> excuse me, someone who uh, has the, the, the natural inclination towards 
environmental things. It's just like I don't have that experience growing up. And hearing about the work that you were going to be doing before the year even started, I really I I had my own doubts as to how much I could really genuinely get invested uh, in, in the work, just because I think there's a large difference of being this sort of the very moldable, you know, 14, 15 year old versus, you know, me. Uh, and I'm just blown away every single day. The, the work that I hear about, the work that I, I get to see if I'm on my prep and I just kind of walk through and see what you guys are up to. Um, it's really, really special. Uh, now, Courtney, Paul shared a story with me. Yeah. And I was like, this has to be on the podcast, undoubtedly, because it's just hysterical. Um, I don't want to play it up too much because I just want, I want a more natural reaction. But, Paul, if you would be so kind, you got to tell the story for our audience. People need to know this, uh, this story. Which one is this? The, the worm story. Oh, right, the worm story. <laughs> um, right, so uh, Simmons was asking me before what, what made me laugh most recently. Here at Odyssey. Which is arguably my favorite question to ask teachers. <laughs> you learn so much. <laughs> well, and I, so I had to check in with him to make sure, you know, that it was okay to tell this story. I'm <laughs> so, so excited. But this is great. I mean, this just happened yesterday. And I'll say, this is a, a be- really beautiful thing about working here. You know, as, as challenging as it is, I mean, the, uh, the amount of laughter that happens is, is equal and, uh, you know, surpasses. So yesterday, um, part of what we were doing... We were outside and we were checking on the worm composting, the vermiculture setup. And back a month and a half ago, when we introduced the worms, we were talking about where they fit into the whole ESC. Um, you know, I was introducing the body parts of a worm, and we were just talking about their digestive tract and how they take food scraps and turn them into really healthy compost. Um, and one question that was asked, you know, from all 16 of the groups that I work with, um, was, you know, how do they um, how do they mate? Like, how do they procreate? Like, how does another worm get? come to be and so I was letting them know you know in nature it's really you hardly ever see that because it's either it's happening underground um, or they're so sensitive to movement that if you happen to walk up on a couple worms who are mating um, they split apart and then they go back underground almost immediately and so it's really rare to see so yesterday we're out checking out the worms and a lot of scholars were asking oh can we bring some of the worms from the worm composting to our new gardens to introduce them to that space because they aerate the soil and then they would also be living there and then you know uh, feeding the health of the soil as they're just living in that space i said sure great so um, i lift up the box and you know we've probably got a couple thousand worms in there right now and you know i'd say three quarters of the scholars just jump in and they start grabbing worms and one scholar i won't mention the scholar's name lifts up these two worms that are attached together and asks like what's going on and i just got super excited because you know in in my mind there are always teachable moments and it's i'd be remiss if i didn't jump on the opportunity and teach right (laughs) whatever it is that we happen to see and so we see these two worms that are in the process of procreating um and she had it in her hand and she was she was really excited when she first grabbed it and then i mentioned what What's going on? And her hand whipped back at about 100 miles an hour, and it dropped on the ground. And I think there was like a split second where like no one was quite sure how to react. And then all of us simultaneously just burst into laughter on that reaction. Um, There's a little bit of embarrassment there, but at the end of the day, it was also you know a really cool teachable moment. So as well. cool, especially for something so rare. Right. <laughs> Talking about procreation, okay. That's good. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. I, I love that. I, the, I just you can't see it obviously, but like 
Paul mimicking like just the the rapid repulsion uh, is is the, that that ties the story together. Hand motions okay. are typically missed in a podcast, but they add a lot <laughs> to storytelling. Well, Paul, I I speak on behalf of everyone here at Odyssey. You are just an incredibly genuine, kind person, and. We, we marvel regularly at just how wonderful you are and the work that you do. And we're just really, we're blessed to have you here. We're just, we're really lucky and fortunate. Um, so thank you uh, for, for everything that you do. Thank you for taking the time this morning to, to talk with us, goofballs. Yeah, yeah thanks I, for uh, saying that. That's really kind of you to say that. And I, I mean, I honestly couldn't be more thrilled to be here. And um, I'm honored to, con- to consider you guys friends and colleagues. I'm learning a lot from you. That's so nice. I I was thinking the other day, Paul, that I uh, remember the first time that I talked to you on the phone because I went back to the coffee shop where I called you in the parking lot of like back in August, August. maybe early August. And I remember for so many weeks being told like, oh, well, when Paul gets here, this will change. Or when Paul gets here, that will change. And, you know, when Paul's here, the curriculum will start to make sense. And Hunter and I kind of, I mean, we had planned like, a year's worth of content not really understanding how or if it would be okay or could connect to the work that you're doing. Um, and so I feel like we both had a little bit of fear around like what adding a new colleague would do to our working relationship and our work with the kids. We felt so protective of them, having had them for a full year. And like the first time we got on the phone, you were so excited <laughs> about the work. And I was like, heck yes, this guy is like at my level of excitement. and. The next time I came to school, Keith uh, said the only person I know that might rival Courtney's excitement would be Paul. And uh, <laughs> it's just so fun to work with someone who has, like Hunter said, the passion for this work and for our, for our kids uh, and this community. So super exciting to work with you. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. guys.